What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica, meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadli. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate. In today's episode of our podcast, we are discussing The Gift, the 2000 Kate Blanchett movie directed by Sam Raimi. And my guest today is writer and podcaster, Kieran Scarlett. Hi, Kieran. Hello, Murtada. I've been, I've been thinking some bad thoughts. Sorry, I just, I just, I, I had to. <laughs> yes. Did you see something bad? <laughs> yeah, I did. This movie. <laughs> so, Kieran is was top of my list of who to invite on the podcast because I knew that whatever the conversation is, wherever it goes, it will be special and unique. So, I'm very excited to have you here with me today to talk about the gift. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. Why don't you tell our listeners before we dive into the gift about your podcast or your other writing? Yeah, well, I've my writing can a lot of it can be found at Rewire News, which they do a lot of work on immigration. I also host a podcast, as Murtada mentioned, which is brand new. It's called You Started It. It's where I interview people of color and or LGBTQ people. And it's me talking to them about a piece of media, either a television show or a film, where they talk about why it was formative to them, how it connects to their identity as a queer person or a queer person of color. And I had a really great conversation with Murtada about an officer and a gentleman. So that was fun. Look out for that episode. And Deborah Winger, who was my first love before Kate. The Gift was released in the year 2000. And it's a story about a woman with extrasensory perception, basically a fortune teller, who is asked to help a young woman who has disappeared. Um, and it has a crazy supporting cast. So Kate is the lead. This was the project she chose as her first lead after her breakout in Elizabeth. And she's supported by Keanu Reeves, Hilary Swank, Greg Kinnear, Giovanni Ribisi, Katie Holmes, Rosemary Harris, and J.K. Simmons. That's a huge, big cast. And it's directed by Sam Raimi, who was known for horror movies like Evil Dead and Dark Man. But this actually was the movie that he made right after his golf movie, I believe, for the love of the game. Have you ever seen that with Kevin Costner? I remember the golf. It was something else. Um... I think it was, was it baseball? Maybe, yes. You know, all the Because I feel like, was, wasn't this golf movie, wasn't Ke- wasn't the Kevin Costner golf movie Tin Cup? Yeah, so yes. Yeah, so it was probably baseball. I mixed them up. <laughs> They're similar in that neither of us watched them, clearly. Yeah. And then after this, he went on to spend almost a decade doing Spider-Man. So it's a, it's a strange little blip in his career that, but it is also a strange little bit in Kate's career. So Kate, like we said, plays this fortune teller. Her name is Annie Wilson. And the movie 
has two plot lines. She has a lot of clients, including Hilary Swank as a battered woman and Giovanni Rivisi as a young man who has been sexually abused by his father when he was a child. Which you don't find out till like much later in the film. It's a weird, the reveal of that is very, very much speaks to, it's a litmus test for whether you're going to respond positively to this film. I'll just say that. Yes, we can talk about that scene. But the main thrust of the narrative is this woman played by Katie Holmes who disappears. And so the character that Kate plays, Annie Wilson, helps the police and this woman's family find her uh, and find the culprit. And it all sort of, it's intertwined with the two with the two customers that she has in Ribisi and Hilary Swank. Also, it's, it's worth noting, the movie came out in 2000, so think about 2000, Katie Holmes. This was like right when Dawson's Creek was airing. She was definitely trying to break out with this movie, which I guess is a little bit like what Kate was trying to do. Um, it's, she was trying to subvert expectations after getting her Oscar nomination and breaking out with Elizabeth and to do something completely different. So she chose this gothic thriller from a director who is known for horror movies. So basically she was trying to play a scream queen, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And she would have been, it wouldn't have been beyond the payoff for her to have done that because she was certainly this is not reflective of my feelings. This is reflective of Hollywood, but she would have been young enough for it back then to step into that role as sort of like a, an adult scream queen, just the whole thing of Katie Holmes wanting to break out. Like, I feel like so much of this movie was about how the actresses were trying to step into a different phase of their career. And they were all lied to in some way where like Hillary Swank was clearly trying to make good on her Oscar win kind of by surprise for boys don't cry where she beat Annette Bening in the best in the big best picture winner American Beauty. And Katie Holmes was trying to be known as a movie actress. So you're not that Wilson. It's a fortune teller. I don't call myself that. I'd love for you to read my fortune. I'm pretty booked up. You think we'll live happily ever after. So before we dive deeper into the gift, let me ask you, what was the first time you saw Kate? It's super basic, but the first time I saw Kate was Elizabeth. It's basic, but, you know, it's the, that is my answer. But I saw the gift. It's the answer most people have because that was, that was the first movie that people knew she was in and it was a big breakout for her. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's called her breakout for a reason. And a lot of stuff started there for her. Like her Oscar narrative started there and that certainly continued it certainly went further than the person who beat her, Gwyneth Paltrow, who, yeah. by the way, I th- who by the way I think deserved to beat her. But anyways, well, we need to talk about two Oscars now. It's fine. I forgave. Yeah, this. yeah, <laughs> yes. No, really. Like sincerely, it it like it all it all came out in the wash. So, what is your favorite Kate performance? It's not the gift. I'm betting. No, it's not the gift. <laughs> and maybe you maybe you're not betting that. Maybe you saw it. Maybe you saw a vision of that. Um. My favorite Kate Blanchett performance, again, maybe this is basic, but it's Carol. Maybe that's gay basic. <laughs> it's it, it's an impeachable performance in film, so it's a good choice. It's it's like she's she's perfect in that she is nailing the stylization of that movie while not shedding because a lot of the times performances that are stylized mm-hmm. and I don't look are 
when I say stylized, I mean that movie has a pastiche about it and she's doing accent work. And a lot of it is very sort of, a lot of it is very stagey in the way that it is to its credit in the way that everything is orchestrated. Like everything is very meticulously composed in that movie, like from, from the framing to the costumes, to the production design. And she manages to act within that framework and not lose any of the emotion of what is being portrayed in that movie, which is her relationship with this woman who is a love of her life coming at the complete wrong time, not just the wrong time in history in terms of social acceptance, but like the wrong time in her life and how she's dealing with the excitement of that. And also the dread of that and the terror of that. And it was interesting to see Kate Blanchett play the person who was sort of pulling back, especially towards the end where she does not necessarily want to engage with Therese played by Rooney Mara. And yeah, she's incredible in that movie. And, and, uh, I also give readings. Psychic reading. Yes, sir. What does being psychic enable you to do? Oh, well, I see things. And I, you know, I sense things that, well, they hadn't happened yet or they were happening someplace else. My granny told me that I, I had a gift that runs in my family. And she told me that I shouldn't be afraid of it. I should just always use my instinct and I... The the gift is sort of a gothic thriller. And I think one of the things that I sort of didn't like about it is that it is trying to tell us that it is a gothic thriller all the time. So it, there is a lot of rain and thunder. It's, you know, it starts with that. And then it continues throughout the movie in the big scenes. There is always thunder and fog. And then it has all these sort of entrapments of gothic mysteries you know, things are always very loud or the camera zooms in and out when the character played by Kate is doing her fortune telling or, you know, reading her cards. So did those sort of trappings bother you? The thing that bothered me this time around watching it as an adult, because I haven't watched it, I hadn't watched it since then, was a lot of the ways in which it's cloyingly trying to tell you that, oh, this is Southern. And you were sort of touching on that, like, the, with, with the um, really dramatic push-ins when she's doing her fortune-telling where, like, the push-ins to, like, just this random, eerie, southern-looking guy playing a fiddle mm-hmm. on a stoop, like, or, like, on a little island in a stream. And it's so... It felt really gross in that way and inauthentic. And also, the casting of Kate Blanchett doesn't help with any of that. I don't know. I've... Obviously, Why? since living. Well, she's she's Australian. <laughs> I think her accent is impeccable in this film. I think her accent work is good, but I, I think the casting of her feels cynical in that way where it's already... And, and, and also, you know, Keanu Reeves. And, like, there's just a lot of things in this movie where the Southern inauthenticity of it in a cynical way where they're clearly trying, they clearly have an idea about the South so much so Mm -hmm. that there is no, like they're trying to be specific with the story. And as a result, there's almost no specificity. Cause I was thinking, where does this movie even take place? Like I was thinking, does it take place in Louisiana? Like at times I was thinking, Oh, maybe this does take place in parts of rural. Yeah. I always thought it was Georgia. I don't know why they don't mention Savannah, but in my head it was always Savannah. I don't know. 
Like Savannah, Georgia is a weird southern place, and it also has a lot of ghosts, like folklore to it. Like you can actually go on hearse rides in Savannah, and there are like like the whole thing is like, oh, there are a lot of haunted houses, and people have like a whole industry around that in Savannah. But it's but Savannah also has like an air of wealth to it, and I know that wealth disparity in towns like that tends to be extreme, but it doesn't it didn't feel like Savannah to me. It's a, it's I, a very small town, so it's, it's a very small one, town. So it's, one of the things that it's sort of like I think the movie is doesn't portray very well is that there's basically I don't know ten characters, and that they're all involved in the story, so there is not really, to your point, a feeling of where this is set. What is the space? And I do agree with you, the supporting cast is going really over the top. Um, maybe what you sort of alluded to as them trying to be Southern, but like Keanu Reeves, I'm, I'm not of the school that says that he's a bad actor, but people who think he's a bad actor have a case if they present this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I love Keanu Reeves, and I can't I can't defend him in this movie other than to say that aesthetically he's really hot. But specifically in this, I mean in general, but I think that him and Hilary Swank being husband and wife in this movie, and he plays her husband who's battering her. It's an interesting pairing in that I think they're kind of similar in the sense that I think that the people who hate them and think that they're bad actors have a lot of evidence in their corner. Mm-hmm. But I think that the reason with that is I think the reason for that is a casting directors are not imaginative in Hollywood. So they would look at someone like Hillary Swank and they would look at someone like Keanu Reeves and they would think, oh, like I can plug Hillary Swank into anything. I can put her in that movie, The Affair of the Necklace, that sort of costumey drama that she did after Boys Don't Cry. Or I can put her in this where she's playing this battered woman. And same with because she's because her identity summary in a in broad strokes it seems castable like she's an attractive white woman but i think that they are both good within a very limited range and i think that this is not this is not what either of them are good at yeah and this is you know also hillary swank had not made many movies when she filmed this and you know sometimes you need a few movies to hone your craft and learn where you are and what the camera does and all of that so she was still Totally. And Boys Don't Cry is not a typical was was not a typical movie making experience like that was not a big studio film. So, yes, yeah, she clearly like she didn't have a chance to sort of become less green. Okay. And I think it shows and I think it shows here. But 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 back to Kate for a moment. I think that Kate watching this, I think her performance is kind of a wash in the sense that it doesn't hurt or harm the film. And I agree that her accent work is good in the sense that she never pulls me out of the movie it's not a nicole kidman situation where no matter where the movie takes place even australia which takes place in australia (laughs) i always find myself asking where is nicole kidman's character supposed to be from yeah because i think we're eventually going to find out that there's life on other planets and i think the way we're going to find that out is because we're going to find out that nicole kidman is from another planet because she's so (laughs) otherworldly and her accent is not australian but Kate Blanchett is able to do that. She's able to dip into accent work very well. Like both of her Oscar wins involved ask, involved accent work, in fact. And she's quite good in this movie in the context of a movie that has no idea what to do with her character beyond function. I was going to say beyond function, but even they don't even know the function of her character, honestly. Yeah, I mean, because I was surprised that she chose this movie. There is a quote of her. She did a lot of interviews for this movie after... 
when it was coming out. And there is a quote that she says in an interview with Newsweek that there were plenty of offers to drive a film after Elizabeth, but there was no point in driving a film if you don't have a story to tell. So this strikes me as sort of an interesting look into why she chose this movie. So to me, this means that she maybe wasn't interested in her part, but she just liked the story and maybe like wanted to work with Sam Raimi because it's not much of a part. She is the lead. She is in almost every scene. But to your point about what you were saying, it's kind of like a part that anybody could play. And the other thing that I think is when, you know, we talked about Keanu and Hillary and and we haven't even brought up Giovanni Ribisi. All of them are sort of going big, particularly Ribisi. And Greg Kinnear, you know, spoiler, is actually the culprit. And he, in every scene... Which obviously he is. Yes, he's telegraphing it in every scene. I'm guilty. But Kate is doing such subtle work. And it's all sort of like in her voice and in the trembling of her body whenever these things are happening to her character. And sometimes when I was watching it, and I did enjoy it because it's such a bonkers story that it's just entertaining. There is always something... Oh, this- this movie is this movie is nuts this movie is nuts you should watch this movie it's nuts (laughs) yeah but also i was like is she in the same movie because she's she's giving it gravitas and doing it but i kept thinking maybe we needed an actual scream queen somebody who would sort of give us the hysterics and the dramatics that this story is pitching when you say need what do you mean like what do you think that would have done for this movie (laughs) I'm no, I'm I'm genuinely curious about that because like, what's what 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 do you think that someone like a Nev Campbell doing sort of a broad Southern accent in this role would have been able to do? Because Nev Campbell is actually not that much younger than Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I didn't picture anybody else in particular, but I just thought that she and the other actors were not in the same movies. In her scenes with Hilary Swank, sometimes I felt they were in the same movie because. They, you know, their scenes had a reality to it. Like, there were stakes when they were talking to each other. But in every other scene with, like, Greg Kinnear or with Keanu Reeves, I was just like, okay, they're just playing. They're just trying to entertain us. And she wasn't doing that. So the scenes kind of didn't work for me. Yeah, I mean, this is an awful thing to say, but I'm going to say it. There's this moment where... She's talking to Hillary Swank's character, played by Val. Her name is Valerie. She's talking to Valerie Barksdale. I will never forget the last name Barksdale as long as I live, because it's such a perfect name. She's talking to Valerie, and she's like, you can take off your sunglasses. I know he's been hitting you. And Hillary Swank takes off her sunglasses, and she has this giant purple welt, like a black... It's like, And the makeup work is so extreme, where I'm like, if he hit her enough to put a california raisin on her face why is she not concussed why is she not in the hospital but like if it's still that big like the it was so extreme and in like not even performance ways but in ways like that where they're like oh you don't know what it looks like when you get a black eye it doesn't look like that if it looked like that that means he just hit her yeah and, and she wouldn't film- be there if, if he just hit her she'd be in the hospital and not only that if he's been hitting her and this is a small town he would know to hit her enough not to leave a mark that big you know what i'm saying because that's like he is an abuser who's controlling her and they are very adept at that yeah i mean it's everything is 
too much. And I think the other thing that is, this movie is very violent. Hilary Swank is playing a battered wife, but her husband, Keanu Reeves, just casually strikes the character played by Kate right in the stomach in front of everybody in town. And that sort of just took me completely out of the movie. It's like something like in front this of cop- would not in front happen. Of co- in front yeah. of cops at his house who are looking for a body. Yes. That they find, by the way. They find her body at yes. his house well, in, his, in his pond. So that's, that's similar to what you were talking about with Hilary Swank's makeup. It's just everything is crazy. Um, although the, the one crazy note that I really appreciated is there is a scene where it is revealed to us that Giovanni Ribisi's father has been abusing him as a kid. And throughout the movie, they dropped hints because he's always talking about the blue diamond. And there is a scene and it is big and it's pitched very loud where the camera zooms in on a blue diamond tattoo on his lower stomach. So it completely just tells us exactly what has happened to this character Mm. when he was a kid. And I sort of appreciated the movie doing that because I think movies now, it's it's 19 years since this movie was released. Movies now are just too polite to sort of do something like this, something as visceral and as like gotcha like this. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but also... I found it troubling, but I don't. I found it troubling, but not problematic. I found it garish in the sense that, like the, the it's garish in the way the rest of the movie is. But I agree with you; it's not problematic in the way that presents the reality of it. I think that in the context of this very, very over the top, tacky movie, it's like the most tasteful way they could have presented that information. <laughs> and it's while, not while, tasteful at all. <laughs> and it's not tasteful at all because, like, by the way, you you see the tattoo very clearly because it's surrounded by fire because Giovanni Ribisi has doused his father. He's tied his father to a chair and is beating him with a leather strap and has, and then he lights him on fire. Yeah. I mean, it's tacky in a lot of ways. Like even if we look at the costumes, Kate is costumed very demurely, always wearing long sleeves and long skirts. And Kim Dickens plays her sort of like party girlfriend and she's in minis. Love her. I love her too. she does not live. She's not from the same decade as the rest of the characters in this movie, both in her dress and hair. But I love her. I love that actress in general. I love her too. But I was just making a point about the tackiness. So her ca- character is costumed completely differently, and so is Katie Holmes. And this is to sort of tell us, oh no, Annie Wilson is good, but <laughs> these other women might not be. Which is really offensive, I think. And that's such a that's such a basic word to use. But it's funny that. I mean, it's not funny. It's awful that Katie Holmes is reduced to playing like such the whore to Kate Blanchett's Madonna, where because Greg Kinnear and Greg Kinnear kind of has this flirtation with Kate Blanchett's character, and they have they they honestly have a weird chemistry, which is strange, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that Greg Kinnear does play a sympathetic character in the movie at this point. If you're not mm-hmm. clocking the fact that he's his character, because he's playing someone who lost his fiance. And you do find out that she was cheating on him with Keanu Reeves. But there's this chemistry between them because Kate Blanchett plays a widow. And now he is not technically a widower because he wasn't married to her, but he's someone who has lost his partner. And so they're bonding in that way. And part of me wondered, since Kate Blanchett's not super interested in the story, maybe she should have been the Katie Holmes part. And maybe she would have been able to push back against some of the grossness of it. Like I almost buy her more as that and like selling that more because I think that the whole murder mystery of it all 
it doesn't seem like it's important. The movie doesn't want to position it as important, but it takes up so much of the second half of the movie, right? Yeah, it does. Like, and there's like, they even go to court. Like, this is where it lost me. I'm like, where, it's a court case now? Yeah, exactly. And like, Kate Blanchett's having to testify, where like, who is calling a medium? To testify. Who, who is calling a backwards medium to testify, testify yeah. defense or prosecution? Like, she doesn't serve either of them well. Yeah, I I want to go to Kate's performance, and I want to mention something that you mentioned about her chemistry with Greg Kinnear. I would give her credit for that sort of what you termed as a little off, because I think she's supposed to be playing this woman who is interested in this man, but also because she's a medium, she knows he's the bad guy. So I think Kate calibrates that well enough that we see that something is off. Despite her supposed attraction to him, she's not really willing to go further with him. And maybe that sort of tension, um, she brings it out. It's certainly not brought out in the script, but totally. I think the performance totally. brings it out. And also there's layers to it. There's, I mean, if you are if you are trying to obscure the fact that Greg Kinnear is a killer, it's smart in the sense that Kate Blanchett, in addition to being this person who has visions, she's also mourning her husband. Like her husband has recently passed away. And so after the death of a partner, like the, the first person you go to after that, it's always, you know, it's always difficult. There's always a sense like, am I betraying the person? Am I betraying my dead partner in some kind of emotional, spiritual way? I'm talking about the ways in which men, mm-hmm. like male screenwriters, sort of basically characterize women in these very narrow emotional ways but i think that she does sell a lot of that but i also think that the casting of greg kinnear is perfect for this but i also think that kate is really adept at selling the chemistry to get back specifically to her because she she does have a way of getting really great stuff out of her co-stars who are maybe not i don't want to say who are not doing great work otherwise but like to use the example of her and Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator, for instance, mm-hmm. I don't think that she is the best female performance in that movie. I'm on record kind of controversially as thinking that Kate Beckinsale is the best in that you movie. So even wrong. though I, So but, wrong. No, no, no. But, but I think they're both. <laughs> I, I, th- I think they're both amazing. I want to be clear. But and I think Kate Blanchett totally deserved that Oscar for playing uh, Catherine Hepburn. But I think that Leonardo DiCaprio does his best work in scenes with her. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that she has a way of drawing interesting, not just in terms of the script, but she has a way of drawing interesting like gestures and glances and the way she does a line reading and the way she sort of carries her body. She responds very well to her co-stars in a way that makes them do the same. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of actresses are good at that. I'm sort of in the middle to positive on her in general, but that is something that she does very well that not a lot of people can do. I will say that about her. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the things that I missed about her performance in this movie is she is a big gestural actor and her gestures can sometimes be construed by some people as being too big. For instance, if you consider the work she does in Blue Jasmine or in Carol or in, even in Elizabeth or at Bob Dylan in I'm Not There, where the, where she acts with her whole body, but also she makes big gestures. And I love gestures and I miss them in The Gift. She is very subtle and is not doing a lot of gesturing. So that was one of my t- negative takeaways of the performance. Yeah. 
what what you were, and also what you were saying about her sort of picking this because she liked the story, but even though the even if the character necessarily wasn't there for her specifically on the page, mm-hmm. I kind of have a more cynical take on it, and <laughs> that Tell something me. that we're something that we're dancing around is the fact that Billy Bob Thornton wrote this movie. Oh yeah, and it's people say his it's, mother, right? That's the story I mean, his anyway. apparent like I I guess his grand is it his mother or his grandmother? Um, IMDb says his mom. I mean, they did Pushing Tin together, and they were friends, so I think she did this movie for him. Which she did this movie the year after Pushing Tin, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it, I Maybe think it comes down Maybe he gave her the script that. on the set of Pushing Tin. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, he... And he is someone who... I think he isn't... I wonder if he would have been a better director for this, honestly, than Sam Raimi. And I don't know if... This is a Kate Blanchett podcast. We don't have to get into the Sam Raimi of, of it all, but Sam Raimi is a peculiar choice for this. Yes, but I guess he was known for horror, and this is it's trying to be horror, or maybe it is giving us the trappings of horror because he directed it. To your point, maybe another director would have told it in a different way instead of telegraphing everything with. Well, it, it's both things, right? It's what I was. It's what I just said, and it's also the very like astute thing that you just said, which is that this movie does not. Like where you're like, oh, this is a courtroom movie now. Where like this movie doesn't even know what it wants to be. Yeah. So, so who is the right person to direct a movie like that? And um, and where and where is the room for Kate Blanchett's performance to be calibrated in a way that makes sense in a broad sense, where like it can do something for her career, right? Yeah. And this movie didn't do anything for her career. She, so she positive or negative. Yeah. Exactly. She did. Elizabeth became an international movie star, and I guess got a lot of offers because she did work a lot between, you know, 99, which is the year after Elizabeth until 2006, seven, she was in a lot of movies in that time and not many of them worked. but I just want to concentrate on these sort of two years after Elizabeth. So she gets Elizabeth gets an Oscar nomination. Everybody knows who she is. Everybody says this is the next great actress. Basically that was her reviews from Elizabeth. She, she gave, she gave a great performance right after that though. In The Talented Mr. Ripley. And that was Hell a, yes. a subversive step to take as your first role. She took a small role, but in a movie that obviously worked. And in a, with a lot of actors of her generation, and all of them, except and, Jack and Davenport, with, and, are great actors. Considered great actors now. And in a movie with the actress who everyone wanted to rhetorically position her as like being in competition with, where she's like, oh, you're going to paint these sexist narratives where women are against each other? Yeah. Fuck you, we're in a movie together now. Now what? Yeah, and, and actually they shot it before the Oscars, but obviously after they made their films. I know, I know. Just, I, like, <laughs> I, like, I like my version. <laughs> Your version is better. It's a good story. And then she decides to do this Long Island Housewife, another supporting part in Pushing Tin which your story says that's where she decided then to do The Gift because she worked with Billy Bob Thornton there. And then she did The Man Who Cried with Sally Potter, who's an avant-garde filmmaker. And that movie is also weird, but she has a supporting part. So I think she really was trying to get away as far from Elizabeth as she could, playing all these, all these roles. You know, three of them are supporting parts. You know, Christina Ricci is the lead in The Man Who Cried, and I guess Angelina Jolie is the lead in Pushing Tin. It's sort of a four-person story, but she's definitely fourth in those four. Yeah, and it's weird. This was like this is a very interesting career because I feel like a lot of 
I was gonna say a lot of groundwork is being laid, but it's not even that because like a lot of a lot of these movies, like The Gift, sort of didn't do anything negatively or positively positively for her career. But given what came after, they sort of serve as relics of how she is. Like I think the I think The Gift shows that she's an adventurous actress, which I which is something I do appreciate about her. Like she will take she will take roles that. It, where people like what her and that were like even something like the Thor movie. And you can argue maybe that was a paycheck, but she clearly enjoyed what she was doing in that or what she does in something like Hana, the Joe Wright movie yeah. with, with, with Saoirse Ronan. Mm-hmm. I think she finds a way, she often finds a way, even if I don't always love the result, she finds a way to take roles where she is able to, or at least show through the script, different sides of what she can do. And like she's not afraid to take supporting roles too, which is mm-hmm. something like you know you would think, given the ego of Hollywood and what, like you know after you come after you're the presumptive second place in Best Actress, you know the you would assume that you want to get another one like, and she's not she's not afraid to take movies where she's not. It's a lot of supporting parts, even in, you know, the famous story from the shipping news, which is a terrible news, but there is, it's a terrible movie, but there is one sort of anecdote that fits what we are talking about, which is she was offered the lead part that was eventually played by Julianne Moore, and she's like, ah, that's not interesting, I'd rather play that small part that dies 10 minutes into the movie. So she has always sort of done this, it's... And I have to say, as a fan of hers since Elizabeth, I was very frustrated in the early 2000s because I was like, why is she in these movies? Why isn't she leading movies? But you know what? I think in the end, she sort of worked in a lot of movies with a lot of different directors, played a lot of different types of stories. Like, you know, The Gift Pushing Tin, The Man Who Cried, and and Elizabeth don't have anything in common, nor do the filmmakers behind them. So I think that gave her a lot of experience and a lot of to sort of hone her craft. And she was, she was young when she did all, like she was younger than me when she did all these movies that we're talking about. She was 29 when she shot the gift. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm turning 33 in like a few hours and (laughs) I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, she was, she was figuring out what her, like what her what her deal was basically after she broke through and Hollywood suddenly wanted her it's like okay well now Hollywood wants me for everything i know i'm not good at everything because no one is good at everything what am i sort of suited for and i think she has more or less found that she has found that through a lot of like she knows now like i don't think she would ever work with ron howard now yes but she, but she but, but that but that come but that's because she worked with him on the missing and she now knows she worked with him on the missing when she was like 33 or whatever. And she now knows not to work with Ron Howard. Not to say that Ron Howard is a bad director, but I don't think Ron Howard and Kate Blanchett make for a good match. Yeah, but I think she, so, just, she now has a Western on her resume. So. And and also she now has a Western on that and that resume. And there are people who think she's good in that movie. Uh, so and that's not a movie that then that's and again, that's not a movie that hurt or harmed her because that was the same year that she was in the Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Like she was also in the Lord of the Rings movies, which yes. didn't necessarily which which didn't necessarily do a lot for her in terms of artistic cachet. But in a way they did because she had these movies. She was she, she had, is famous because of them. It's she is famous because the of them. Absolutely. That most people have seen her in. And look how she was look how she was able to make the Lord of the Rings trilogy work for her as an actress in a way that Miranda Otto was not 
in a way that Liv Tyler was not. And she was in that, she was in those movies less than both of those actresses. But she had a big impactful scene that people always quote, right? So I think she's well, and, that and, way. Well, I mean, and also she's Kate Blanchett in there, them. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I've already sort of mentioned that my favorite scene was, although I can't call it favorite, the Giovanni Ribisi scene. Are there, and I struggled, I always ask people what sort of scenes worked for them, but I kind of struggled to come up with a scene in this movie. This movie just has to be taken as a whole. I can name several scenes that were my least favorite, but I can't take a, I can't think of a scene that really worked. Do you have a scene that really worked for you in this film? I think, although I don't like the con the context of what's going on with her and the sons, like especially the oldest son, because they're doing that thing. They're doing that sort of thing that they often do with mothers and their young sons, which is done to really good effect in something like terms of endearment or Aaron Brockovich. That's sort of just like resentment boys at that age have of their mothers, especially if they have absent fathers. And it's like amped up to 11 in this case. And really it feels really misplaced in the sense that, their father is not absent. He didn't leave her. He died, and she's not the one who killed him. So I know you're mourning your father, but like, you know, calm the fuck down, kid. Like, why are you yelling at her? But I think that her, I think she has good maternal chemistry with those kids, which is such a dick thing to say. And I also think, but I also think that comes out in her scenes. I think that that comes out in her scenes with Keanu Reeves, honestly, where like that scene where he comes over to her house at night. Yeah is a really unsettling scene because that's the first appearance of Keanu Reeves where he comes over to her house, I believe at night to threaten her. Does he strike her in that scene too? Does no, he, he doesn't strike he, her every time he sees he, her. He doesn't, he does not hit her in that scene. Um, but he, her kids are kind of in that, like in the, it's kind of like a track house. So they're like in the back sort of, but they can see what's going on. I think that's very effective. And I also think the scene where the one son is walking home and Keanu Reeves sort of threatens him is very menacing. I think that scene does, I I think that scene goes a long way in terms of advancing the narrative and showing that he is threat. Like he could showing that he could have killed Katie Holmes basically because he's like threatening this kid. And then Giovanni Ribisi shows up and I don't enjoy that as much because he goes big as he always does. We're kind of dancing around Giovanni Ribisi. What do you yeah, think of him in general? Um, you know what? I haven't thought about him in a, in many years. But when I saw this movie and then I went and looked at his filmography, I think when this movie came out, he's second build after Kate. And it's not alphabetical. So I think, and also just looking at the sort of movies he made around this time and what he was doing, at that time, he was sort of as this great upcoming actor but I've always, he, especially in this film, he's too much, too much, too much, too much. <laughs> what do you think? I agree. I mean, it's it's not it doesn't make for an interesting conversation, but I agree. I think I think that we have people like Michael Shannon, where like even Michael Shannon is a rare male actor, where even when he goes big, I'm into it, yep. and Absolutely. he sells it. Like even like he goes, I kind of wonder why it was. Richard Jenkins and not Michael Shannon, who was nominated for Shape of Water, but Michael Shannon is really more sympathetic. Michael Shannon really gives us what Giovanni was, what Giovanni Ribisi was trying to give us, especially in this. Like, can you imagine Michael Shannon at his peak? 
powers in the Giovanni Ribisi role in this movie, then maybe like we could have been able to do something with yeah. that ending and, and that, sold yeah. it. That would have been a great combination of him playing with Kate, because a lot of her scenes are with Giovanni. A lot of her scenes are with him, and they're supposed to... They're meant to deepen both of them emotionally in terms of their performances, and it just really serves to show the deficit between what she's trying to do and what he's trying to do. Yeah. You know? I have to... You know, when we talk about Ben Foster, like, Ben Foster is probably what Giovanni Ribisi hoped he would be, because I get that Ben Foster is sometimes too big, but I feel like Ben Foster burning with emotions, where when he goes big. So there is a sense of honesty and truth to to what he's doing. It's not all it doesn't always work, but there is I agree. I, I mentioned I I mentioned Ben Foster to point out a deficit, even though I don't yeah. I was just saying I don't always love him when he goes big, but he goes big better than Giovanni. Yeah. And Giovanni I just I just thought he was like a kid playing you know, I don't know, in a school play or something. It's just yeah, it, this was not a good performance. It was not a good performance, but not only that, it's the type of performance that someone's giving where I felt sad watching it. And I, then I thought to myself, I'm like, did Giovanni Ribisi die? And I'm like, I looked it up, I'm like, no, he didn't die. I, I'm like, is he one of those actors who died a few years ago? No, he's not. But I felt, I feel like he definitely thought he might get a supporting actor nomination out of this. If like the chips fell right and like, you know, it's, it's being headlined by a best actress nominee. I bet he thought it was possible and... I know. I don't know what what they reward in male acting is so weird. Like this, this easily could have been a a, a best supporting actor nominee given oh, some of the performances sure. nominated. Movie made a little bit more money. He would have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is wild. <laughs> you nailed that on the head. Totally, he would have totally gotten the nomination because it's not worse than Stanley Tucci in that movie where he's a serial killer. The lovely yeah. bones. And it's not worse. It's not worse than. It is worse than J.K. Simmons in Whiplash, but it's not it's not more emotionally complicated than that. And it's not more it's not it's not more emotionally rich than that. Like, it really is just loud. And I think that's what that category is (laughs) a lot of time, except except when they're except when they're trying to communicate to Sylvester Stallone. No, we really, 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 really don't like you. We're going to give Best Supporting Actor to, to this British theater actor named Mark Rylance, who was in a movie that we didn't even like that much. That's how much we still don't like you. Yes. And, you know, it's speaking of actors, when I read, I went and did some research about, you know, just press from the time this movie was released. And a lot of it was saying that all these actors, including Keanu Reeves, and I don't know why, signed to make this movie once they knew Kate was in it and they all were paid scale. So I guess that was part of the marketing. You know, look at this upcoming actress. Not upcoming. She was already considered the actress, the the leading lady. And that's why we worked uh, for less money, which is sort of I don't an want, interesting I don't want to... marketing uh, point to make. I don't, I don't want to tell tales out of school. I don't know anyone's personal life. But I'll just say that I believe I believe that about Keanu Reeves. I believe Keanu Reeves saw that Kate Blanchett was into it, and he signed on. I bet he was, I bet he was a Kate Blanchett stan. And I'll just leave it at that. Yes. Now you know what? They're both in their fifties now. They should make another movie together where maybe it's better written and they have more scenes together, <laughs> and they don't have to go big. Can they just be calm together? That would be great. He's tricky though. He's 
he's such Keanu Reeves is a good actor when he's good and he's so tricky too. I mean, he is an inconsistent actor, but there are so many other inconsistent actors who have a reputation that they are fantastic actors. Yeah, and also watching this movie, like, first of all, Keanu Reeves is a person of color. Like, let's acknowledge that. So to see him playing, like, this southern white supremacist, not that people of color can't be white supremacists, they can be. It's very, it's very complicated, white supremacy. But to see him in that role was very upsetting to see him be like any like the the way they telegraph that he's like the worst of the worst where like not only does he beat his wife and not only is he coming to Kate Blanchett's house to threaten her about it where he's like you're just some witch trying to fill ideas in her mind you're no better than a Jew or a nigger it's like well what what do either of those things have to do with being a witch first of all it's just about just, telling us more that he's the worst you're just trying you're just trying to tell us that he's racist but why the which by the way like we don't need that. There aren't any. There aren't any black characters in this movie for him to. There aren't any non-white characters in this movie for you to do anything with that anyway. So why are you even going there? Yeah, yeah. It's a very white movie. Um, and also, like Jeremy Renner, clearly Jeremy Renner was making movies at that time. He was in indie movies. Like, put Jeremy Renner in that part. He'll fit right in. Not in. Not. Not in a bad way about Jeremy Renner. But I actually no, think he, that Jeremy could play it for sure. I actually, I actually think Jeremy Renner is an actor who could have done something more interesting with that than Keanu. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Keanu's not in good good in this movie. So, kind of where we uh, like where we fell on this movie is that it's sort of entertaining because it's so bonkers, and that's why you should see it. But. There is really no reason to see it, even if you wanna, if you love any of these actors in it. They have been much better in many other movies. And this brings me to the question of: Does it have any cultural capital? Like, it's easy no, to no, no one rem- today. No one remembers this movie. Exists. <laughs> no, well, no one remembers this movie exists. I feel like it does because it's not. It didn't. It doesn't serve as a. It doesn't serve as a landmark or a benchmark in anyone's career who's in this movie, right? No, not at all. Like who remembers that? Because this is this is 2000, so this is the year before Kate Blanchett started being in the Lord of the Rings movies, and that's really when, like, Elizabeth made her famous with people like us, but like Lord of the Rings made her a name with people who, like, made her like a household name with people who like maybe see like 20 movies a year. You know what I'm saying, or like less than that. Um, Yeah, I mean, there is probably people who only saw the Lord of the Ring movies, and that's it. Of all yeah, the exactly, and and exactly, and by the time the by the time she won for the Aviator, no one was thinking about or even remembering that she was in this, or any of her movies between ninety nine and two thousand four, except maybe the talented Mister Ripley. Yeah, except it's weird that she got nominated for like stray Golden Globes here and there. Like she got nominated for Veronica Guerin for a Golden Globe. I remember, which who even remembers that that movie? I saw that. But if you remember, after she lost for Elizabeth, people were trying to get her the Oscar. So the Golden Globes, of course, would be like, well, if she wins an Oscar, we want to make sure we nominate her first because they come before the Oscars. So that's why they nominated her for almost everything she made. Exactly. And that's probably why she won. I, that's probably why she won for the Aviator because that, that, that was a three-way race, right? Between her and uh, Virginia Madsen. And Portman? Yes, but I think the Academy would not have resisted giving an Oscar to an actor playing one of them, an Oscar winner. Like, that is just too much for them to resist. Well, 
in that con- she did it she did everything right and that performance is great and it helps that the movie is interesting i don't know if i don't know if the aviator is a great movie but i think it's an interesting movie and i think that the movie is very alive when she's on screen and that's hey that's how you win an oscar so in maybe when many i context. do an episode for an aviator you'll have to come back i don't want to watch the aviator again ever <laughs> Like I, I don't want to watch. Well, I want to. I don't want to watch the Aviator in its entirety again. I'll watch the Kate scenes again. Okay. Both Kates, <laughs> but do you? So, I want to. Ask, I want to ask you something, which is, sure. do you? Like we're kind of dancing around this, and you said that you do. You, you like her accent in this, but like, do you think that just sort of divorcing from like what it did it for her career, and compared to her other work, like, do you think this is a good film performance that she's giving in the in the gift? No, I don't think it's one of her better performances at all. Like, I wouldn't put it in even a top 20. Uh, I think she, I think the the character is a nothing. So the performance in the end becomes a nothing too. Because, but I think she has outwardly did what she could do. Is like, like, the technicalities of the performance are there. Like, the way she holds her body, the way she speaks, she's got the accent. Like, these things that sort of outward performance things she nailed them because she's a fantastically technical actress so she nailed the technical part but there is nothing to the part for it to be a great performance yeah this is a classic example of a an inactive protagonist like she is the inactive protagonist of this movie where she just sort of exists at the center of everything that's going on around her and she is completely inert in terms of her character arc there's no journey that she goes on which makes it feel very much like a not Kate Blanchett role, mm-hmm. and I'm not, and I'm not going to say that it is a Sandra Bullock role, but <laughs> it's a Sandra Bullock role in the sense that this is the type of role that sent, would, would have gone to Sandra Bullock at this time, where I'm like, it's weird that this is not Sandra Bullock. <laughs> so I want to go back to something I said earlier, which is um, the scream queen. Like I, I didn't envision anybody else in this role, but. I wanted a little bit of, you know, Kate saying, you've got a hurricane in me. You know, that that big scene of her in Elizabeth the Golden Age. She would have been in the same movie as Giovanni Ribisi if she did that. I I don't know that Annie Wilson has a hurricane in her. <laughs> Probably she, not. She maybe has a drizzle. <laughs> and that's why I think this movie kind of doesn't work. Even in something like the Life Aquatic Steve Zissou, which is a nothing performance for her as well, in terms of what that movie envisions her doing and what it allows her to do, but she's formidable in terms of her presence in that movie. Yep. She has a strong presence always, but not in The Gift, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. So before, I have a few questions for you about Kate, but before I get to them, is there anything you wanted to say about The Gift that we haven't talked about? Um, I like the score. I thought the score was really, really, I really found myself noticing the score this time around. Like I thought it was very evocative and would have like been an easy nominee for the Oscar in a better movie where it fit. I think yeah. I thought this was great. I don't know that Billy Bob Thornton is a good writer after watching this movie because I, <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah, I mean, there are other things about Sling Blade that, helped him win that screenplay Oscar. Like the fact that he was in it. And yeah, that was more about rewarding him than actually what he wrote. And he hasn't written anything in a while. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't remember certainly that he has written anything in the last decade. So is he, 
is he still working? Because like, what's what has he done he last? Year? He he is doing TV shows. He was in Fargo. He was in something else, and I don't remember its name. Oh yeah, he had that great haircut in Fargo. Yeah, so he's um, working for sure. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't this wouldn't this demoralize you as a writer if this was about your mother and this is how it turned out? Yeah, but all the things that you mentioned about, you know, the scenes with the sons and, you know, how she's a cipher and not... It's his, it's, his, it's, it's his fault? <laughs> it's his fault because he probably can't see his mother from a, from a distance to actually write an interesting character for her. I agree. Like, yeah, which is why, like, don't fucking write movies about your mother. <laughs> exactly. That's don't, the lesson don't... from the gift kids. Don't write movies about your mother when you're a man and you have not done any emotional work on yourself, which he clearly hasn't. Because he still says he still will sometimes say gross things about Angelina Jolie. I'm like, you guys were married forever ago. Get over it. Sorry. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a few questions about Kate. Are you ready? Yes, I am. So we talked about a lot of her movies and we mentioned a lot of her movies, which is great because that's why we're here. But I want to ask you a question that I don't think you have mentioned, which is... When was Kate underrated? She is somebody who is often considered overrated just because of her reputation, but when was she underrated to you? This is a weird answer, but I think she's underrated and I'm not there because I think that people view that performance as very much gimmick mm-hmm. and the and the Oscar nomination that went along with it. But I think it's very... I think that's a brilliant performance and it, it's a performance that stands out from a lot of her career in general, and also a lot of what she was doing at the moment. Like if you sort of position that against notes on a scandal, mm-hmm. which is not, which is a performance that I enjoy watching, but I don't actually think that's a great Kate Blanchett performance because I don't think she plays stupid very well. <laughs> She's way too smart to play stupid. But why do you like I'm not there? I think that she really dug into becoming, I, this is such a, it doesn't even. It doesn't feel like she's playing Bob Dylan. It feels like she's playing an interpretation of Bob Dylan. And I was. I'm not someone who is super well versed in the history of Bob Dylan, but I just found that character Jude. I believe is the name of the character that she's Jude playing. Quinn, yes. Jude Quinn. I felt like the whole gimmick of like, oh, she's playing a man. I felt like that was so little of it of of the impact of that performance to me. I think that her reserve and her sort of bombast because you could feel her playing unearned bombast very well (laughs) in the sense, not maybe not unearned, but like maybe overstated like queen Elizabeth, you know, earned her bombast. Like she, she too can command the winds, you know, but when Jude talks about him, when Jude sort of talks about himself or around himself in these glowing terms, like it just, it felt so astute. And that's not just like a lot of that was the script obviously and Todd Haynes direction. But I think that her gesticulation, like she so got the way that that kind of man (laughs) talks about himself. Yeah. I like that performance too. It's a turn because it's so big and has so many gestures and she's always never still in that film. She's always moving, but she found something there that just, and also it's it's one of the films, you know, Todd Haynes really knows how to um, frame actors and she is one of the best actors in filling the frame. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and, and I say it's weird to bring that up as an underrated performance because she, I think she came, for, she probably came very close to winning for that. Do, do you agree? I think so, yes. Um, 
but I mean, who who knows what was going on in that category that year? But yeah. I, I think, think that she came. You're, you're right; it's underrated in that when people mention her performances, they, they, they don't it. mention it. Well, and they re- and I think that people when they even when they talk about her in the context of, in the context of that Oscar year, I think they reduce it. They reduce that performance. And, you know, a lot of people were reducing it in reaction to being like, oh, well, well, look at look at what Tilda Swinton's doing in Michael Clayton. And that's such a great performance, which it is. And why don't they ever reward why don't they ever reward subtle but, you know, nominated work like that? Yeah. Well, they did. They did. The best performance in the category won. Tilda Swinton was the best and she won. Can we stop shitting on Kate now? I know. Right. Please do that. <laughs> so uh, what, who is your favorite Kate scene partner? You can't um, say Rooney Mara. I can't? No, you can say what you want, Garrett. I'm just kidding. No, it's Rooney Mara. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's Rooney Mara. No, I also think she ha- I also think she did do and this is not an actor I favor, as you know, but I think she did great I think she did great things with Leonardo DiCaprio in the Aviator. Um yeah, I, I, think, needs, I think he needs to find someone of her stature to work with again i was you know she was just casting that guillermo del toro movie where he was attached to it but he dropped out and now it's going to be bradley cooper like he should have stuck to that movie to to act with kate again like she is always really doing interesting work with people even if the even if the movie is not interesting i think greg kinnear does some of his better acting in general he's not an actor who i feel any kind of way about as an actor but he does good work with her. Like he is most alive in this movie when he's on screen with her and Katie and Katie Holmes. Thank you for showing up. Here's your say card. (laughs) You're so funny. Um, So the flip side of, of that question, who would you like to see her work with? Somebody she hasn't worked. This could be an actor. It could be a director. It could be a costume designer, you know, whoever you like. I have an answer for this that I've had for years, but it's three answers. It's, it's three people. It's a three-people answer. I want her, and I want Nicole Kidman, and I want Kate Winslet to work to be in the same movie together. Yes. Because I feel like they are so representative of... Those are all Best Actress winners, right? Yes, they are. And I feel like they're all sort of representative of an era, and they kind of overlap, obviously, of like, oh, when is she going to win? Oh, she won. And, but they don't, they're not in projects together because I feel like they wouldn't be in projects together because they would be occupying the role that the other two would play, right? Yeah, <laughs> and probably, although I find even I, though they're even though they're very different actresses, very different, like, yeah. and but like Hollywood is reductive in their women, yeah. so it is what it is. But I want to see them in something because I want to see, I don't even know that it would necessarily be good, but I think it would be interesting to see. I just want to see Nicole Kidman and Kate Winslet and Kate Blanchett bouncing off of each other. And why has that not happened in any context? Like has, has any of them done any movies with any of the other two? Like, I don't think so. No, no, they haven't. But Which Kate, is weird, Kate right? Kate works with a lot of women. Unlike, you know, she worked with Judy Dench. She's worked with Rooney Mara. She was, she's, her new movies was Kristen Wiig. So she, un, you know, she finds a way to work with women, even though Hollywood silos women and men in them, like to only work with men in the movies. Anyways, I want to see Nicole Kidman, Kate Blanchett and Kate Winslet in a movie, not playing sisters. I want to see them in something more interesting with, than that. With more Oppositional. Tension. More, 
yeah, more oppositional. It doesn't necessarily have to be them fighting. I don't want to see them fighting over a man, please. Definitely. Not. But I want to see them like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe something as simple as like they live on attractive land and someone keeps, you know, putting the garbage like someone keeps putting their garbage on someone else's property like it could even be like a dark comedy about you know what i think kate kate should turn she did the maids on stage with isabel huper she and isabel huper is just not great in english so she can take the maids make a movie out of it with nicole kidman that would be my answer have you seen your suggestion i've seen it she's yeah yeah i hmm well yeah, I, the maid I, I, has I, three I, parts. I mean, there is the part that so the the sisters and the mis- and their mistress. So it's three parts. It could work. It's probably it's probably too much of a pipe dream to imagine them all in the movie. But I will take I will take Kate Blanchett with just one of them, and it's probably more likely that it will be Kid- it will be Kidman at this point, don't you think? Yes, I think Blanchett and and Winslet for a long time because they have the same first name. They were sort of interchangeable a little bit, and people not like you know because they're such different actors, but just in in the consciousness of people who maybe don't follow movies as much as you and I do. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like they're both, I mean, they're not both British, but she's Kate Blanchett is Australian. And I'm sure a lot of people assume she's British. She played a in, lot a, of in, in, in a reductive way, and she plays a lot of Brits, and. Like they're all from this. It's it's all of the Commonwealth. Let's just be honest. So, it's 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 very easy for someone who does not watch a lot of movies to very innocently conflate them. I agree. So, Kieran, this has been a great conversation, and I think ending it with your dream of the two Kates and Nicole together is like a good way. So, thank you so much for coming on my Kate Blanchett podcast. And Thank before, you for having me. I feel like I put that idea out there that's never going to happen, and now I just ruined. Because now, I, like, this is the first time I said it out loud, and now I'm sad that it's not going to happen. It might happen. You maybe, know, maybe you never know. Did we? Did no. you ever think that Nicole and Reese Witherspoon were going to be in the same project together? That happened. I never would have imagined that in my wildest dreams. You're absolutely right, um, and that it would work so well. At least uh, half of it. Yes. And before we leave, so why don't you tell people where they can find you um, on Twitter, on social media, wherever you want to guide them to and tell us where we can find your podcast. Yeah, well, you can find me on social media at Dan Blackroy. That's D-A-N, black like the color, R-O-Y-D. I host the You Started It podcast and you can follow that on Twitter at You Started It Pod, all one word. And you can find my podcast as You Started It. You can find it on Apple podcast you can find it on stitcher you can find it on spotify any place that you listen to podcasts you can find it thank you so much and you can find me on twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast at sundays with kate and until next time thank you for listening